Now, it's a little bit hard, isn't it? Not to react against the absolutely over-the-top extravagance and showiness of that kind of renewal. Because it just makes you suspicious of their real intentions. Were they really sincere uh, in renewing their vows to one another? Or is she just being a diva trying to grab the attention? This evening in Haggai, we get to hear God renewing his vows with his people. And there is absolutely no question of his intentions. God loves his people. And he will do whatever he has to to keep his word. Now, we're actually going to see God renew his vows twice this evening. This first time, what we'll see is that God has promised to bless his people and he will do whatever he has to to keep his word. But as has been the pattern throughout Haggai, almost immediately there's a problem because what we find out here is that the people are actually defiled. Let's have a look. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil or other food, does that other food become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body, excuse me, touches one of those things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. Now you get the basic principle here, right? Cleanness is not easily transferred from one thing to another or one person to another. But uncleanness or defilement, it's much more easily transferred. It's a bit like the carpet at our place. At home, we've got white carpet, which is ridiculous. But let me tell you, when the kids come inside from playing and they are dirty, their dirtiness is instantly transferred to the carpet. The carpet gets filthy. But when they're clean, their cleanness doesn't transfer to the carpet. The carpet doesn't become amazingly clean because the kids are clean. Well, Tom told me just before church this evening, he said, when you throw a shirt into the mud, the shirt gets muddy, but the mud doesn't get shirty. (laughs) Sorry, what Haggai goes on to say, seriously, is that that is exactly how it is with the Israelites. Have a look at verse 14 with me. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. These people are defiled and so whatever they do, it is defiled too. It is unclean and it is unholy and it is unpleasing to God. But it gets even worse because God goes on to point out that they are actually under the covenant curses. Verse 15. Now give careful thought to this. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. 
I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail. Now, it might not be immediately obvious to us, but to the Israelites, when they heard that kind of language, it was obvious. They were suffering the covenant curses. Back in Deuteronomy, Moses said that part of the covenant curses was that the Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with scorching heat and drought, and with blight and mildew, which is exactly what's happening here in Haggai, isn't it? And he said that these things would happen if you do not obey the Lord your God and if you do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees. And again, that's exactly what's going on here in Haggai. The people are suffering hardship. They're under the covenant curses because of their failure to obey God. Have a look again at verse 17. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not turn to me. The people are defiled and whatever they do is defiled and they are under the covenant curses because of their disobedience, because of their stubborn refusal to return to God and to submit to his will. Now, amazingly, it's in the midst of all this that God renews his vow to bless his people. It's in the midst of all this that he shows his absolute commitment to keep his word no matter what it takes. In the space of just eight words, God completely reverses the situation. Instead of defilement and curses, God declares that he will bless his people. Have a look right at the end of verse 19. From this day on, I will bless you. I will bless you. What God's doing here is he is renewing a promise that he made hundreds of years earlier. You see, this is not the first time that God said those words. This is not the first time God has said, I will bless you. In fact, that is exactly what he said to Abraham. Do you remember? Leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. What's happening here in Haggai is that God is taking the covenant he made with Abraham and he is reaffirming it and he's renewing it with these people. What he's saying here is I have remembered that promise and I will honour it, it will happen. I will do whatever it takes to keep my word. Friends, can you see the enormity of this for the people here in Haggai? They were under curse, the covenant curses. But now he has renewed his vow and he will bless them. And even bigger than that, this promise is one of the great promises of God that drives history. His promise to bless his people and in turn through them to bless all peoples. And I hope you can feel God's absolute commitment to his promise here. His absolute commitment to his people. It's just oozing out of this bit of Haggai. God loves his people and he will do whatever he has to, to keep his word. And this promise that God will bless his people, he is so absolutely committed to it that it stands even today. Now, 
We're actually going to come back and think about what lessons that might have for us in a few minutes. First, we're going to pause and we're going to read the next bit of Haggai because the word of the Lord actually came a second time on the same day. And in this second word, we get to hear God renew his vows a second time. So Paul is going to come and read for us. Thanks, Paula. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now that's a weird little bit and there's some hard ideas in there to understand. So we're going to have to work really hard for this last little bit. But in this final bit of Haggai, what we get to hear is we get to hear God renew his vows a second time. And specifically what we see this time is that God has promised to establish his chosen king. And again, he will do whatever he has to to keep his word. But again, as is usual in Haggai, it begins with a problem. There's an obstacle to God keeping his word. This one's a bit trickier to to see, but it's got to do with the way that Zerubbabel is described in verse 23. He's described as being like a signet ring. Have a look with me, verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. Now, Zerubbabel is described as being like the Lord's signet ring. That kind of language only comes up in one other place in the entire Bible, and that's back in Jeremiah. And interestingly and significantly, Jeremiah talks about Zerubbabel's grandfather, a man called Jehoiachin, And get this, it describes him as being like a signet ring on God's right hand. But the thing is, God says to him, even if you were a signet ring on my right hand, I will rip you off and hurl you away and there you will die. I will send you into exile and you will die in Babylon. And worse than that, though, this curse on Jehoiachin will extend even beyond his lifetime because Jeremiah says that he is to be recorded as childless and that none of his offspring will prosper. And so by the time of Haggai, Zerubbabel, two generations later, is under that curse. And that's a big deal because Zerubbabel is actually a descendant of King David. And you might remember that God had promised King David something quite different. God had promised King David something much more glorious for his offspring. If you want to look it up later, it's in 2 Samuel 7. But back then, God promised David that one of his descendants would rule forever. So can you see the tension here? 
In 2 Samuel, God promised David that he would raise up his offspring and he would rule forever. And now in Haggai, by the time of the exile, God has cursed David's descendants and said, none of your offspring will sit on the throne of David. But again, this shouldn't come as any surprise to us. What we see is that in the face of the Lord Almighty, this problem is really no problem at all. Amazingly, again, in a few short words, God completely reverses the curse on Zerubbabel. He renews his vow to establish his chosen king and in fact he goes so far as to say that it will happen through Zerubbabel, who he will make like his signet ring. What's happening here at the end of Haggai is that God is remembering the promise he made to David hundreds of years earlier and he's renewing it and he's doing whatever it takes to keep his word. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Those last words of the book are not insignificant. This is the Lord Almighty. It will happen. God's chosen king will be established The Lord Almighty has declared it. Now, it is interesting, though, that we don't really hear anything more about Zerubbabel after what we hear of him here in Haggai. It seems as though he never actually became Israel's king. It seems as though he never actually sat on David's throne. But his name does pop up somewhere very interesting. You see, instead of being recorded as childless, Zerubbabel is now forever recorded as an ancestor of Jesus, who is called the Christ. Turn with me a few pages to the right to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and we'll see how Zerubbabel is recorded. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah, that's another name for Jehoiachin, was the father of Shealtiel. Sounds familiar? Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. And so on down to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Friends, what's happening here is that God is taking the covenant he made with David and he is reaffirming it and renewing it and working it out through his servant Zerubbabel. What he's saying is, I have remembered that promise too and I will honour it. It will happen. I will do whatever I have to to keep my word. Just like he promised, God's chosen king will be established and he will reign forever. Now, this is a good point for us to think about what the lessons are for us in this. Because this evening we haven't just seen some attention-seeking diva riding around in a pretentious pumpkin-shaped carriage to a fairy tale castle in a theme park somewhere to renew her wedding vows. We have seen something far more extraordinary than that. 
we have seen God himself, the Lord Almighty, come to his people and sincerely renew his vows with them because he loves them. And we have seen proof that he will do whatever he has to to keep his word. And so there are two big lessons for us in this. Lesson number one, God blesses his people and he will continue to bless his people. And so we ought to thank him for the ways that he blesses us. Now, it's easy to say that, isn't it? God blesses us, he blesses his people. But what does it actually mean? How does he bless us? Well, doesn't God bless us in a thousand different ways every day? God has blessed us today by giving us this building to meet in. He's blessed us by giving us copies of his word to read. Most of us have our own. He's blessed us that we live in a country where we're free to even meet like this. What a blessing it is that we can meet to read his word, to sing together, to pray together. What a blessing that we can just meet together as Christians, as people called by his name. We can certainly thank God for all of those things. What a blessing that we live in a country where we're free to elect our government and where we can wake up the morning after an election and life just pretty much goes on as it always has. Absolutely we can thank God for that. And God has blessed us by giving us homes. And we don't just have homes, but we have nice homes, comfortable homes. And God has blessed us by giving us jobs. What a blessing that we can have work where we can earn enough to live on. What a blessing that we can have jobs where we can, that we can enjoy and where we can feel satisfied. We ought to thank God for these things. And God blesses us every day and multiple times a day with food to eat. And again, we don't just have food, but we have nice food and we have plenty of it. What a blessing. And look, I'm guessing most of us are good at saying grace, but when you do that, when you do that, are you just going through the motions? Or do you really honestly, sincerely thank God for the blessing that it is to have food to eat. Friends, God blesses us in so many ways all the time, every day. Thanking him ought to just be part of our everyday vocab. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you thank God for for something openly in front of someone else? When was the last time that you openly thanked God for something in front of your kids? Look, here's the challenge for the week. This week, thank God deliberately, consciously, verbally, out loud, Every day for the next week, thank God. And I'm not just talking about things like, wow, I love spring. How about this? God, thank you for the spring. God, thank you for the warm sunshine. God, thank you for the flowers. God, even thank you for the magpies. God, thank you that I can go to work today. God, thank you that I can drive this car to school. 
God, thank you that I am well and healthy today. Friends, God blesses his people. Thanking him ought to be part of our everyday vocab. But you know what? Even when we don't have those things, even when God hasn't blessed us materially and physically, even if you are poor, even if you are sick and weak and old, we still have an even greater blessing than all those things. Because God has done whatever he had to do to bless his people in Christ. In Christ, we have redemption. We have been brought back to God. What an absolute blessing. In Christ, we have justification. We have been declared righteous. We are right with God. What a blessing. In Christ, we have salvation and glory. In Christ, we are co-heirs. We are the household of God. What wonderful blessings. And we ought to thank God every day for those things especially. Now, there's another lesson for us in this. Lesson number two. God will establish his chosen king and so we ought to submit to him. Now, friends, make no mistake. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, God's chosen king, and his kingdom has already been established. To him has been given all authority and all power and all glory so that people from every tribe and language and nation might worship him and submit to him. And his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It will never end, it will not pass away and it will certainly never be destroyed. And because Jesus is God's chosen king and because he reigns over everyone and everything forever, of course we ought to submit to him. Now again, what does that mean? Well, it means that we obey him. And so it certainly means that we ought to read his word so we know how to obey him. And like we thought about a couple of weeks ago, it is not good enough being apathetic about that. But here's another thing that it means. Submitting to Jesus as king means that we cannot go on ignoring him. We cannot go on with that persistent sin in our lives. It means we can't go on submitting to God in most of our life but keeping that one little bit over the side where we stay rebellious and disobedient and we do our own thing. And so here's the challenge for this week. This week, honestly examine yourself. Examine your life. Have a look at your heart. Are there things in your life where, if you're honest, you're just not submitting to Jesus? Friends, if there are, then I strongly encourage you to share them with someone you can trust, someone who can give you good advice, someone who can help to keep you accountable. But far more importantly than that, I strongly encourage you to repent. You need to repent. And you need to pray and you need to ask God to forgive you. 
Because here's another one of God's wonderful promises that we know he will keep. If we repent, sorry, if we repent and if we turn to him and ask for forgiveness, he will forgive. Friends, this has been a wonderful way to finish Haggai. We have heard God renew his vows, not because there was ever any doubt that he would keep them, but because he loves his people and because he is committed to his people and because he wants us to be assured that he is faithful and that he will do whatever he has to to keep his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the warmth of this last bit of Haggai, that we get to listen in as you come to your people and you renew your vows. Father, it's so amazing and exciting to hear you renew your promise to bless your people and through them to bless the world. Father, it's exciting to hear you renew your promise to establish your chosen king, the one who will rule forever. And Father, in the light of those things, in the light of your faithfulness and your fierce determination to keep your word no matter what it takes, Father, we want to be people who delight in your blessings, who see your blessings around us all the time, every day. Father, we want to be people for whom thanking you is just part of our everyday language. And so, Father, we pray, work in us by your spirit. Make us thankful this week. And Father, as well, we want to be people who rightly submit to Jesus as our Lord. Father, he is your chosen king. He rules even now and he will rule forever. And Father, a day is coming when every knee will bow to him. And so, Father, we want to be people who willingly bow to him, who willingly submit to him, who obey him. And so again, Father, we pray, work in us by your spirit. Make us into people who are obedient uh, servants of Christ. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.